Our scripture comes to us from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath, or that that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, we gather here as a community of faith, united in our common need to have our lives shaped by your holy words. So be gracious to our seeking of that in these moments. This we ask in the name of the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. Through the Thursdays of Lent, I'll be conducting a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments. Someone has already asked me, why? (laughs) This isn't exactly new material. No, it's not new material. Soren Kierkegaard told the story of a novice sailor who was instructed by the captain to take the helm of the ship at night. The captain said, just keep your eyes focused on the North Star. But late into the night, the young sailor fell asleep, and when he woke up, he realized he had lost his bearings. So he called out to the captain and asked for new directions, saying, we've passed the North Star. So why the Ten Commandments? Haven't we passed that star? Aren't there some new directions for us? No. (laughs) They're not ten suggestions. They're not ten principles for success. They're they're not ten ideas as if Moses was just sharing. (laughs) These are commandments. And they are also a grace. Because at Lent, we remember that like the novice sailor, we too have lost our bearings. And these commandments can get us to the promised land. It is striking that these commandments are given to the Hebrews 30 days after uh, the, the great exodus. God heard the cries of the people, led them through the Red Sea, delivered them from bondage. But can we exactly say at that point that the Hebrews are free? No. Freedom isn't found just by shoveling off a taskmaster. Freedom is found on the hard road, from the inside out, when you bind yourselves to choices that will shape your life. Once when I was in Pittsburgh and was driving to work on a busy, busy four-lane highway, I saw a dog that had gotten loose on the road. 
He was frantic, barking at these cars as they were swerving to miss him. Now, when that dog got loose, he probably thought he was free. But what I saw on the highway didn't look like freedom. It looked like frantic anxiety, fear, and a whole lot of danger. Freedom is found by binding yourself to the choices that can shape your life. And usually, those choices are made on the hard road. I want you to um, envision a map. Let's say that Egypt is over here, the Promised Land is up here, the Mediterranean Sea between them. All along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, from Egypt to the Promised Land, was a frequently traveled trade route. It was called the Way of the Philistines. It's about 150 miles long. It was easy street. There were lots of rest stops, fast food joints, Hampton Inns along the way. But when the Hebrews were brought through the Red Sea, God did not let them take easy street, but turned them south down into the Sinai Desert. Maybe you know what that feels like, to be pretty far south of your dreams. Or maybe you've been in the desert so long, you don't even know what the dream is anymore. If that's the case, what you need is not a, a new idea or a new plan or strategy. What you need are some old commandments. The prologue to these Ten Commandments begin, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's how it begins. That's the interpretive key, I think, to all ten of the commandments. We have a liberator God who insists on us learning how to be free and to walk in that freedom. So these aren't just ten laws. They're actually signposts to freedom. The first signpost to freedom say, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make of your, for yourself any idol of anything from earth or your imagination of what's in heaven or what's in the water beneath. No idols. So it's striking that the first thing Moses sees when he comes down from Mount Sinai with these Ten Commandments that have been literally written in stone by the finger of God, what's, what does he see? but the Hebrew people around an idol. When you feel lost in the desert and you are anxious, and Moses has been away on sabbatical for too long, and you even think God is absent, it isn't that you stop worshiping. It's that you just go shopping for an idol. And a gold calf, it makes sense, or at least it did make sense. It was a familiar idol. Other people worshipped the gold calf. It made wonderful promises. You could shape this idol the way you want. We've always preferred that in a god, to be able to shape it to a preferred image. It wasn't mysterious like Yahweh. You could put a rope around the gold calf, drag it wherever you wanted it. If you left it alone, it'd just wait for you to come back. And best of all, 
the gold calf makes no demands. And we have always preferred that in a God. All promises, no commandments. Now, as theologically diverse as we are, I doubt any of you have a gold calf in your home. But you may have a curriculum vita that you're pretty proud of, and you're counting on. Or maybe an acceptance letter into a PhD program. Or a job offer from First Wonderful Church. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with any of these things. They're fabulous things, unless you're expecting them to save you. A job can never save you. Or maybe you've recently fallen in love. Another wonderful thing, unless you're expecting it to plug the holes in your heart. One of the struggles every pastor has during premarital counseling is to convince this couple you are not marrying Jesus. Just a human being. Nothing, no achievement, no possession, no person can save you. You shall have no gods before me. It's not just a commandment, it's a promise. In the 16th century, the mystic St. John of the Cross was imprisoned for the reforms he tried to bring to the monastic houses in Spain. In prison, he saw his work completely undone. He thought his life was over. Everything he had worked for was done. That's when he wrote the famous treatise, Dark Night of the Soul. His thesis is that a reward, a reward for those who take prayer seriously is that they encounter eventually this dark night of the soul. When you think you are losing everything. On the dark night of the soul, you just hang on the cross with Jesus while everything else falls off. You think that you're even losing God, but you are not. What you are losing that night is the instrumental use for God. On the dark night of the soul, you confront the most important question of your life, which is, are you still interested in God if there are no benefits attached? What if it's just God plus nothing? Can you still affirm your love for God? The reason John of the Cross said this is a reward is that it's only the people who've passed through that, who have affirmed the love for God plus nothing. They're the only ones who are free. Because they're not anxious about losing things anymore. They've, they've already lost it. They've learned to conduct their lives with open hands. This is the posture of faith, isn't it? Of course, things can be taken out of open hands, but it is only into open hands that new blessings can be placed. The alternative is to frantically, fearfully try to cling to your life, which is not a position, posture of faith. 
In my experience, when people die, it's always with open hands. That's how the story ends for all of us. But the sooner you learn to do it, the more time you have to be free. You shall have no other gods before me. Again, it's not just a commandment. It's a promise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.